and welcome to another edition of the China in Africa podcast. I'm Eric Olander, and as always, I'm joined by Kobus van Staden of Witts University in Johannesburg. A very good afternoon to you, Kobus. Good afternoon, and a very good afternoon uh, to Hugo Brennan in London.、Uh, Hugo joins us、uh, all this week for a focus that we're going to kind of take on、uh, MENA, Middle East and North Africa, with a particular focus on North Africa.、Uh, Hugo is a recent graduate of the University of London.、Uh, he just did his master's degree、uh, in Chinese politics and just finished up an absolutely fascinating dissertation.、Um, The the name is not that sexy, but trust me, the the body of the work is very good. An increasingly consequential China in the Middle East and North Africa. A very good afternoon to you, and congratulations,、uh, Hugo. Good afternoon. It's a pleasure to be here.、Thank、well,、you. we're really excited to to talk with you now. Over the course of the week,、uh, we're going to pick Hugo's brain on、uh, on three different countries: Libya, Algeria, and Sudan. So those will be individual podcasts. Today, we're going to focus on Algeria, and Algeria is shaping up to be one of the more interesting engagements for China in Africa. And what makes it so interesting is that we don't actually hear that much about it. But yet, the Chinese presence in Algeria is reported to be among the largest in all of Africa. It may be one of the most consequential, and for two reasons that we're going to get Hugo to explain to us. Number one, obviously, there is a lot of oil in Algeria. Algeria is a member. Of OPEC, if I'm correct,、uh, but also Algeria has a very long-standing relationship with Europe, and so a lot of Chinese investment may be coming into the country in order to produce for Europe. So,、um, let's kind of you go start with the kind of the big picture of how you would describe、uh, Sino-Algerian relations as they are today. And while you're doing that, give us a little bit of background on on the history of of the relationship between these two countries.、Uh, sure. They've got strong historical links that kind of go back to the Algerian War of Independence,、uh, where Mao's policy of supporting revolutionary socialism around the world sort of forged a strong friendship.、Uh, China was the first non-Arab state to recognise Algeria when it became independent, and since then they've had sort of strong political, economic, cultural, and even nascent military links.、So. And today, well, what's what's okay? So you know, we we always hear with Africa and and China that you know Mao really you know spread the the revolutionary message right up and down. So a lot of it does obviously go back to to the Mao era.、Uh, but today, how would you describe what's the headline that we need to know about, and which will guide our discussion for the rest of the、uh, the show? Some of the key、um, interactions are infrastructure projects.、Uh, China are very much involved there. Generally, the state-owned enterprises doing infrastructure projects. Um, oil isn't at the moment a big part of it. They mainly have sort of exploratory licenses, the、uh, state-owned oil companies, and it's not a major oil exporter to China yet. But that's perhaps something in the future that might change.、Um, Hugo, you, you mentioned briefly、uh, the military engagement,、um, and in April this year there was this, this big this visit of this ma- major kind of、uh, Chinese. You know, vessel like warship, basically,、um, which you know vis- visited Algiers.、Um, I wonder if you could, you know, I-, I saw that kind of popping up on, you know, kind of on news feeds, and I didn't really know what to make of it. Like, what was going on there?、Um, it was the thirteenth escort task force of the People's Liberation Army Navy,、uh, which is one of the most ex- advanced task force that it has.、Uh, it was a four-day visit. Uh, and they took part in joint activities.、Uh, the task force consisted of two missile frigates: one the Shuzhou and another the Huangshan.、Um, and it was 
it docked in Algiers after its four months off the Gulf of Adan, the anti-piracy mission. And it was part of a wider visit to the region that included uh, Malta, Morocco, France and Portugal alongside Algeria. So interesting. Let me give a little bit of so background on the Shujo. Oh, oh, hold on, so just, I'll sorry, give a little bit sorry, of background on the co- yeah, on the Shujo. The Shujo has, has been involved in the anti-piracy operations off the coast of uh, Somalia and the multinational operations that are there. But the Shujo has played a very important role in the Mediterranean and also off the coast of North Africa. It was, of course, involved in the uh, evacuation of 36,000 Libyans that were uh, in, during the, the fall of Gaddafi that was there, and so then it shows up again uh, in uh, in Algeria. So we've seen the Shujo battle group, which is, as Hugo said, the most sophisticated battle group that they have, or the Shujo, Shujo frigate, uh, surrounded by its support cra- craft. And, and it's very interesting, Hugo, that, that the Shujo keeps ap- appearing in the Mediterranean, uh, you know, and what, what message do you think that the Chinese and the People's Liberation Army Navy are trying to send through the deployment of the Shujo through the Suez Canal in Egypt each time because it keeps going back and forth, and also for the fact that the Shujo has been involved uh, in in joint military training operations with the United States uh, this this past summer. What's the message you think the Chinese are trying to send by deploying the Shujo to North Africa so much? Um, I think it's part of the wider um, attempting to build up a blue water navy, um, getting to know new seas. Obviously, it hasn't. It hadn't been deployed in the Mediterranean before the Libyan crisis. I think this is partly getting the People's Liberation Army Navy experience in different parts of the world. So that's how I would see it. Now, in uh, at the time, this is back in March of 2011, uh, when the Shujo was coordinating the evacuation out of Libya. Uh, there was a very interesting editorial that was written by Ian Morris, who's a well-known scholar, uh, in the in the Mail, the Daily Mail, the UK newspaper. And he wrote of the Shuzhou, and this is just as a little side note, decades from now, the voyage of the Shuzhou may come to symbolize the moment when the balance of power really shifted from west to east. So a lot of symbolism being put into the Shuzhou. And I just want to kind of put that into the context of why Cobus was asking about this, because... There's a lot of symbolism in this particular battle group showing up in uh, in Algeria. So, Kobus, I kind of took us on a little bit of detour back there, but go ahead with your uh, with your question for Hugo. Sorry, um, what I actually just wanted to, to ask is: so, were, so did the Shucho and and company did they pretty much like stop at all of these different Mediterranean ports, pretty much to make friends, or you know? And uh, you mentioned kind of joint joint exercises, but you know, kind of in in the larger China's larger engagement in the Mediterranean, like what what was the significance of of them taking this little little tour around the Mediterranean? Partly, like I said, I think it's gaining experience in new waters. And also, I think making friends is a, is another key aspect of it. Uh, because China have always said they would never have overseas military bases. And if they are to become sort of a global power along the lines of the United States, then they're going to need friendly ports in different parts of the world where they can call in. So perhaps that's how I would see it. Well, let's get back to uh, bilateral relations between Algeria and China. Uh, you know, trade is going to be one of the most interesting aspects to focus on here. Looking at some of the, the figures that were, that were included in Hugo's dissertation, uh, Algeria imported about $5 billion of products from China. A lot of that is in uh, textiles and, and low-tech uh, I- industries, and exported about $2 billion, most of that in hydrocarbons, in oil and, uh, and basically uh, natural gas and oil. So the question is that 
that this is, seems to be a dynamic that we see in many parts of North Africa of a very imbalanced trade relationship. It's also the same in Egypt as well, where China holds a very big trade surplus. And the effect on, on these economies can be rather severe if China is exporting a lot of low-cost products to a country like Algeria that doesn't have a very diverse industrial base beyond oil. Um, the relationship may not be actually very positive for Algeria. What's your sense when you, when you look at that trade relationship? Um, I think it's fair to say, I mean, that is a problem that lots of countries have with China because of its sheer size of the economy, um, that there are often trade imbalances and this can be a problem. Um, with Algeria, it's not a, perhaps as bad as it is with other states. Um, so at the moment, perhaps not a huge issue. Well, one thing I was really surprised that you, to bring it down a little bit down to the level of, of, of actual people um, and, and not, not just bilateral relationships, um, I was very surprised by the one number in your dissertation that 45% or an estimated 45% of all foreign workers in Algeria are Chinese. Um, can you give us an idea of, of A, what, what, are they all, what are they mostly doing there? And B, what is the kind of relationship like with, between them and Algerians? Sure. Um, that figure came from the Labour Minister, the Algerian Labour Minister, who estimated it was in 2009, I think he said, there was around 45% of all foreign workers in Algeria uh, were Chinese. Um, I think it puts them sort of in the forefront that, that Algeria has a large unemployment problem, especially youth unemployment. And so perhaps some of this tension is then put on the Chinese because they're the most visible presence in the country. Yeah, but I, I think we have to treat those numbers with a lot of suspicion. Um, first of all, I think it's very difficult to count the number of Chinese. We've talked about this in, in other contexts throughout Africa, that counting the number of Chinese is very difficult. And then, two, counting the number of other uh, immigrants from across uh, North Africa or the Arab world or, or Africa is also very difficult. So I, I'm kind of suspicious when he says that. And I think you brought up a very good point that there may be political reasons to suggest either there's too many or too few Chinese who were there. One of the things that, you know, I used to run France 24 Digital Group in Paris, and I ran an Arab news service, and a number of my staff were actually Algerian. And they would say to me, they would say, it's incredible to see the size of the Chinese population just booming. Uh, and also the amount of construction that's going on done by Chinese companies in residential housing, in industrial uh, capacity as well. And yet they were saying that no one is talking about it. It was not something that was covered in the Algerian press. It's not something covered in the French press, either in Arabic or in French. And I thought that was very interesting is that the, the level of awareness and the level of scholarship on the Chinese in a place like Algeria is shockingly low. Was that something that you found in your research as well? Uh, definitely. China and Algeria is not something that is often in the news or, off or easy, easy to research. Um, the numbers... I think you're right in saying that it's very, very difficult to estimate. I mean, I came to a figure of 40,000 Chinese nationals in Algeria, and that was based on um, a WikiLeaks uh, US embassy cable, which is what they estimated in 2009. But after the Inamanis hostage crisis earlier this year, the Chinese embassy in Algeria came out and said there were more than 30,000 Chinese workers, which kind of makes me think that they didn't really know beyond yeah. a vague yeah. number. 
Well, we know, Cobus, that the Chinese embassies are not known for actually kind of tracking their people who are there or providing any support to their people who are there. So taking the Chinese embassy at their word is really n- not necessarily a good idea. Yeah, um, I, I'm surprised, though, at why why the French government doesn't keep kind of stronger tabs on this. Because, I mean, France is notorious for, for, for its – well, I mean, notorious may be the wrong word, but, I mean, France is, is – is, you know, known for for keeping quite tight tabs on uh, you know on African issues generally and on its ex colonies particularly. So, do you think it's just not in general circulation, or is there some other reason why that's not really being researched? Uh, it could be that in French sources, that is something that is being researched more. I'm limited to the English language press, um, and it doesn't really come up there. But you're right. I would imagine in French sources it would be more. I don't know about that, and and here's the reason why: is that the the French view, I mean, of of their influence in Africa, and then again, this goes back to you know even the editorial narrative that we had at France 24, which was the idea that they don't pay any attention to the Chinese; they still look at the Maghreb as being a sphere of French influence where they are the dominant power, and I think they look down at everybody else who's in that region and don't see the Chinese as a competitive threat in any way whatsoever. Whether or not that's true is is irrespective. But the fact is that the French, I think, aren't don't really pay attention to other people in uh, in that region. And I think that gets to my, my second question here, you know, about the, the role of the French versus the Chinese. Do you see the Chinese posing a challenge to, to French hegemony, if there is such thing as French hegemony in, in North Africa, or are they going to be as a side bit player that really won't have any broader influence on the, on the relationship? I could see China definitely challenging the French in the sense that North Africa has a lot of what China needs. It has sort of untapped export markets. It has large hydrocarbon reserves. It has relatively wealthy citizens, relatively high GDP. Um, so I could see it as a, a target area for the Chinese. Also, arms sales is another uh, facet of this engagement. Traditionally, it's been Russia that has been the dominant arms dealer in the region. As and well the as French. The I, would, I would assume the French as well. And the French, whereas this is very much an area the Chinese are looking to move into. So there's one example. Um, the Algerian Navy bought three uh, Chinese frigates earlier this year, which was a deal that the Russians had hoped to get, but the Chinese won out in that in the end. So that's perhaps a small example of Chinese moving into ground that has traditionally been uh, covered by other states. Well, let's kind of stay on the security theme a little bit here. And, th- and this is very interesting because a lot of people are, may not be familiar with the fact that the Chinese have quite a bit of, of experience dealing with, with Muslim separatists and, and Muslim insurgencies due to their uh, due to the issues that they have in Xinjiang out in the far west with the Uyghur population that's there. Now, what's interesting is that as they move into a place like Algeria where al-Qaeda in the, in the Islamic Maghreb has been very active, most notably uh, at the, the January 2013, uh, attack that occurred at the um, let me just what was the name of the oil facility at the Inmanema oil facility or oh, the In uh, an, an, Aneas uh, I'm getting the name of it wrong but it was the January 2013 800 people were taken hostage 39 killed and it was an, an, a, a, a network affiliated with Al Qaeda uh, but Al Qaeda in the Islamic Maghreb has singled out China uh, in specific for the fact that it does not like the way that Muslims are being treated in in the far west. And so a greater presence of Chinese in 
Algeria certainly seems like it would present a threat to the Chinese who are there uh, by the likes of AQIM or others. What is your kind of take on the security uh, stability for the Chinese in, in a place like Algeria? Um, certainly following the Urumqi riots in 2009, Al-Qaeda and the Islamic Maghreb came out specifically and said they would target Chinese nationals in the country. Um, and some of the uh, Islamist parties inside Algeria, such as Anada, which uh, ruling in neighbouring Tunisia at the moment, they also came out and sort of said they were very unhappy with the way the Chinese were treating their Muslim population. But apart from that one threat that came out in 2009, there doesn't seem to be much follow-up on that. So I'm not sure if it was just sort of a one-off based on the events of 2009 in Xinjiang or whether this is something that might develop into a more serious threat. To take it a little bit towards the economic uh, direction, um, you mentioned in your dissertation that they, that they started a special economic zone in 2008 and then it kind of fall, fell flat and collapsed. What was going on then? Why, why do you think it failed? Yes, this is from an African Development Bank report that I read. Uh, they were suggesting that Algeria and Egypt are areas where these special economic and trade cooperation zones, which are based on the special economic zones in China, it's based on that model. And there was one that was set up in 2008 in, I think it was the Jiangling Economic Trade and Cooperation Zone. It was set up and it was supposed to be focusing on, on assembling cars. And it was supposed to be 50,000 units in the next five years that we built from that. But I read that the project had been cancelled due to a number of concerns over the quality of the possible output. Also objections from Renault, which again is the French angle coming in, who were considering building a manufacturing base in Algeria, but actually in the end decided to build it in Morocco. Well, his dissertation was an increasingly consequential China in the Middle East and North Africa. And as you can hear from our conversation, uh, it is growing consequence. It's something that is very poorly understood. So uh, if you are a master's candidate or a PhD candidate, this is the path to go. Because if you start writing on this, I think you'll get some attention. Uh, by virtue of the fact that in the Arabic press, in the French press, and in the English press, there's, it's very, very poorly understood. And the research oftentimes is spread out across all three, what little there is there. So this is one of the most interesting aspects of China's engagement in Africa, particularly because when we talk about China and Africa, oftentimes we think of sub-Saharan Africa. But a lot of the activity is happening in the north. Um, we've been seeing a lot more activity in the Suez with, with the Egyptians and also watching the Chinese diplomacy uh, as they kind of handle the aftermath of the Arab Spring and how they've been actually quite quite skilled in, in transitioning from one government to the other. Uh, you know, certainly we've seen this in Egypt now with the Sisi government going coming after the Morsi government and in and, and other parts of the region as well. So they are, this is a, what Hugo pointed out with the Shuzhou, is it's a learning opportunity and it seems like there's a lot of learning that's going on in Arab politics in the North African region. So I encourage you to, to do look up Hugo Brennan online. And Hugo, what we do at the end of every show is we kind of guide people to where they can follow you if they're to see what you're reading and what you're writing on the internet. Are are you on uh, Twitter or any of the social networks? Yes, on Twitter, my handle is Hugo Brennan 1988. So it's H U G O B R E double N A N 1988. Excellent. And that's probably Excellent. the best place to follow me. Okay. And then, uh, Cobus, where can people find you if they want to find out what you're doing these days? 
Uh, you'll see me on our Facebook page and you'll see my name in brackets when I respond to comments. And also I'm on Twitter at Stadenesque. That's S-T-A-D-E-N-E-S-Q-U-E. And our Facebook page is really incredible. Over 120,000 followers now kind of joining us in this global conversation about the Chinese in Africa. We're going to have a conversation about the Chinese in North Africa all this week. We'd love for you to participate. And also, in fact, because the single largest group of, uh, of followers that we have come from North Africa, actually. Hugo, this kind of blows me away, but, you know, about uh, over 50% of our followers come from Egypt and Algeria and Morocco. Uh, it's really amazing to see the interest in this topic coming from the northern part of uh, so uh, of Africa. So we are going to, uh, to satisfy the demands for more information there. If you'd like to follow me on Twitter, I'm there. Uh, Tweeting the top headlines almost every almost every day at eolander e o l a n d e r and of course if you want to follow our podcast the best way is over on iTunes but you can also find us on SoundCloud and of course on our Facebook page so that'll do it for this edition of the podcast we'll be back again in a few days with another episode until then thank you so much for listening.